This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Jesus responds from Deuteronomy 6. He says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And I love this part about how then the devil left him and the angels came and attended unto Jesus. So, you want the greatest weapon against temptation? Get into the Word of God. Know the Word of God. But just don't simply know it, because Satan knew it. He quoted it. But live it out and obey it and use it as a weapon of your warfare against various temptations that might come your way. As Pastor Gary will remind us in today's message, we'll be faced with temptation and attack at the hands of Satan in this life, and we need to be ready. If you go into this battle unprepared, the results can be devastating. As Jesus demonstrated during his own time of extreme temptation, we can stand up to this enemy with the authority of Scripture and the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. You need to know God's Word on a heart level to be prepared to resist this persuasive enemy. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 3, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Repentance is the act of stopping the direction you're going and going in the opposite direction. A repentant heart means that you turn 180 degrees, you were going one way in your life, but you find the Lord and then you go the other direction. And John points out that true repentance will be accompanied by good fruit. Now, this is where it gets difficult because some people want to be fruit inspectors and you want to look at somebody else and determine whether or not they've really repented. And uh, that's not our uh, calling. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. But having said that, the point he's trying to make here is is that a, a true repentance can be recognized. True repentance can be recognized. If it's a mystery to people whether or not you're saved then the question might be, are you producing fruit in keeping with your repentance? It should not be a mystery that you know Jesus, that you love Jesus, that you're following after Jesus. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. There ought to be evidence for our faith that is visible and that is noticeable and that is fruitful uh, in our lives. But the other thing he points out in verse 9, when he says here about, you know, don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, is that it's not about your religious heritage, it's about your heart. And the Jews were well known, at least the Pharisees and Sadducees were well known for falling back on their religious heritage. And they're like, we have Abraham as our father, we're good to go. And there are a lot of people even today lining the pews of many churches who think that they're on their way to heaven because they fall back on their religious heritage. It has nothing to do with John Wesley. It has nothing to do with Martin Luther. It has nothing to do with John the Baptist. It has nothing to do with any sect or any denomination. It has to do with your heart. You can't fall back on as good as as wonderful as that heritage might have been for you. And, And I don't want you to deny that at all. If you've grown up in the church and you have a church heritage and you grew up, whether it's a mainline denomination or no denomination or what it is, but you came to know Christ, the the actual identity is in Jesus. It's not in your heritage. And some people have a hard time with this. 
Uh, I know that, you know, at first when the idea for me, having grown up in the Methodist church and having Methodist pastors on both sides of my family, my dad's uh, brother was a Methodist pastor for many years. My dad's grandfather, my great-grandfather, was a circuit rider preacher on horseback for the Methodist church through the hills of West Virginia. And on my mom's side, my, my mom's father was a district superintendent of the Methodist church. Let me tell you something. At first, the idea of leaving Methodism made some people in my family think I was leaving Jesus because it's so connected. But after a while, they realized uh, they all needed to leave. And so, um, um, yeah, they're all gone now. But, uh, but, but the point is this. It's not, it's not about our religious heritage. It's about, do you know Jesus? Now, you can have a heritage and Jesus. I'm not saying it has to be one or the other. What I am suggesting to you is, if it's only the heritage that you fall back on because you think that's what makes you right before God and that's your ticket to heaven, that is a misunderstanding of truth. Because the only true ability we have to enter heaven is through what Christ has done for us. It's who we are in Jesus. It's about the heart. It's not about heritage. And that's a mistake that the Jews are making here. They're like, well, we have Abraham as our father. We're good to go. And he says, no, no, no. The axe is already laid to the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And he speaks here in verse 11 about baptizing with water for repentance. And then he makes this mention here about Jesus who will come to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, the fire part here is this refining work. And coming to know Christ is going to be a refining process in our lives. He's going to begin to purge things. He's going to turn up the heat. He's going to expose some of the dross, you know, that process of refining precious metal when they turn up the heat and they melt metal, the dross comes to the surface and gets skimmed off, and that's the way the Lord will work in our lives as well. I'm sure if I ask for a show of hands, many of you could say, I have felt the fire of Jesus from time to time in my life, burning some things out that needed to be burned out. Well, in verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee. Now, here he is, first time we have him in his public ministry. Now, one of the things that Matthew does not cover is uh, the gap between his birth, which was in chapter 2, and his public ministry, which begins here in chapter 3. So he goes from around age 2, when he's a child, there in Matthew 2, to now uh, around the age 30 in in Matthew chapter 3. So we have a gap of about 28 years between Matthew 2 and Matthew 3. And the only reference we have to Jesus between the age of 2 and 30 is in Luke's gospel, when Luke talks about the incident when Jesus was 12 years old and uh, his parents left him at the temple uh, thinking that somebody else had him when in fact neither did. Uh, That's the only other reference to Jesus. Uh, When he was a baby, a young child at two, when he was 12 according to Luke, and then when his public ministry begins here at the age of 30. Well, Matthew doesn't even cover the age of 12. He just jumps right to his public ministry. And here comes Jesus from Galilee, verse 13, to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Now, seeing as how we've mentioned these three different baptisms, uh, which baptism is it that Jesus is receiving here? Because, in fact, uh, not yet, of course, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not uh, baptism of water to identify with Messiah. He is Messiah. What about the first one, the baptism of John? I mean, what what has he done wrong that he would come confessing his sins and uh, looking forward to Messiah? Really, he's only being baptized here as the public 
commencement of his ministry. This is not an admission of any sin. This is not any kind of repentance that is needed here. This is the commencement of his public ministry. This is, if you will, kind of his ordination service. And when he says here, let it be so now, Jesus says, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, to fulfill a divine appointment. This, he's trying to say to his relative John, this is a divine appointment, John. Uh, We need to do this. This is his public moment. This is the commencement of the ministry here. And so I need you to baptize me. And then John consented. And it says in verse 16 that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Again, notice that he went up out of the water. This is another scriptural uh, just piece of evidence why we baptize here at Cornerstone by immersion. Uh, Pretty hard to get you up out of the water if you're just going to be baptized in a cup. So, uh, again... People can be sprinkled. Uh, it's okay if that's, you know, the form of baptism. I mean, you know, there's been different occasions where I'm sure that's been out of necessity. Someone was an invalid. They couldn't get in the water. Is it okay to be baptized by just having a, something poured over you? Sure. I mean, let's not be legalistic about it. But if we want to try to emulate as much as we can what Scripture teaches, we practice baptism by immersion. You go in the water, under the water, come up out of the water. Why? Because here's an example. It says Jesus, as soon as he was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And here in verse 16, we have a manifestation of the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all in this scene. Here Jesus is, the Son, being baptized, and then comes the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and then a voice from heaven, which is the Father, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So you see the manifestation of the Trinity, the three persons, one person, three uh, persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, revealed in one God as Jesus was being baptized here. Let's see if we can get through chapter 4 as well. So chapter 4, verse 1. Immediately after Jesus' baptism, what happens here? Well, his ministry begins, and with any ministry that begins, uh, Satan is going to try to take a shot. And so here comes the devil. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, before we read here the scene involved in the temptation of Jesus, I do want to just take a moment to, um, I'll tell you what, let me read the scene and then we'll come back. All right, verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him, Satan, and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, In the Greek, the word if is subjunctive, not indicative. It could be better translated since. Uh, Satan already knows. So really it's better to say, since you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If or since you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
And then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Now, just a few points about temptation, because this is, uh, this is an important thing for us to realize in our own lives as well. Here comes Satan to tempt Jesus. A couple of important things. First of all, everyone faces temptation. This is what 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says, uh, that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out for you so that you can stand up under it. So uh, a good verse in the one sense and uh, um, a strong reminder in another that we're all going to be tempted. And so we need to face temptation head on. And number two, temptation itself is not a sin. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. So if he was tempted and yet didn't sin, it's a reminder to us that temptation itself is not a sin. And in the book of James, James tells us this as well in James 1.14-15. We need to also recognize, number three, that God is never the source of temptation. James tells us this as well in James 1.13. He says, But when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. However, it can lead to sin, right? Because James goes on to say, But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So temptation itself, not a sin, but it can lead to sin if it is not dealt with in its early stages. Number four, temptation comes through three doors. First John 2.16 tells us, comes through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And you actually see that in this story here in Matthew 4. Because what does Satan appeal to with Jesus? What he appeals to is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, it doesn't work, and it doesn't work because of the fourth, or the, rather the fifth thing that is important to realize about temptation, that temptation is fought by knowing and obeying the Word of God. In Psalm 19, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, Lord. It's, it's the... It's the, not only the knowledge of the word, but it's the obedience of the word. And that's what we see here in Matthew chapter 4. Every single time that Satan tried to tempt Jesus, Jesus responded with Scripture. And it just so happens that each of the three times that Jesus responds, he is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy more than any other book in the Gospels. So the first temptation, Jesus is uh, tempted by Satan to turn stones into bread. And Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8 when he says, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple, which would be the southeast corner of the temple. The southeast corner of the temple stood 200 feet high. And when you calculate the distance down to the Kidron Valley, it would have been a drop of about 400 feet And Satan tempts him. Why don't you go ahead and throw yourself off of the pinnacle of the temple after all? And notice this. Satan quotes Scripture. Satan knows the Bible. He quotes Scripture. He just doesn't believe it or obey it. But he quotes Scripture. And he quotes from Psalm 91. And he says to Jesus, Well, if or since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. That's Deuteronomy 6, 16. And then the devil took him to a high mountain and wanted to tempt Jesus with... uh, The devil's attempt here was to prematurely 
interrupt God's divine plan. Because if he could get Jesus to submit to Satan and to do what Satan wanted, uh, then it would hinder the ultimate plan of redemption. And so Satan offers him the kingdoms of the world because the Bible does say uh, that um, in 1 John five nineteen it says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So it was within Satan's ability to offer Jesus the worldly kingdoms But Jesus responds from Deuteronomy 6. He says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And I love this part about how then the devil left him and the angels came and attended unto Jesus. So, you want the greatest weapon against temptation? Get into the Word of God. Know the Word of God. But just don't simply know it, because Satan knew it. He quoted it. But live it out and obey it. And use it as a weapon of your warfare against various temptations that might come your way. Well, let's carry on. So verse 12, it says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Now, just mark off in the margin of your Bible, Matthew 14, verses 3 to 5. Why is it that John had been put in prison? We'll get to the story in more detail when we get to Matthew 14. But basically because he had confronted King Herod, that Herod was living in adultery. And for that... He got thrown into prison. You know, when the king doesn't like what you're saying publicly, the way that he will silence you is he'll throw you in jail. You're either going to have revival or you're going to have a riot. And uh, King Herod wanted neither, so he threw John into prison. And Jesus goes back to Galilee. Now, it's going to make John the Baptist wonder what's going on here. We'll see later in Matthew, he's going to begin to question, you know. I mean, here you are, the herald for the coming of the Messiah, and now you're in prison? This isn't working out like I thought it was supposed to work out, Jesus. What, what's going on? And Jesus simply goes back to Galilee, and it says in verse 13, uh, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Capernaum is from the Hebrew Kafarnahum, meaning the town of Nahum. It's probably where the prophet Nahum was born or grew up. It is a beautiful town on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, it's right there on the Sea of Galilee, and the The remains of Capernaum are there, including the foundation of the synagogue, uh, which dates back to the first century, so we know exactly where the synagogue of Capernaum was, where Jesus often ministered. But this will become his headquarters for three years. Capernaum will be the headquarters for Jesus' ministry. And uh, Matthew then tells us in verse 14 that uh, this location was a fulfillment of what was said to the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach. And here's the first word of his public ministry, not... You know, we already have some words recorded earlier, but this is his first public ministry addressed to the people. What's the first word? Repent. Same word of John the Baptist, a public ministry, in, uh, back in chapter 3, verse 1. Repent. Turn away from the way you're going and go the other direction. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
Now, the other Gospels tell us that this was not their first encounter with Jesus. So it's not like a stranger approach and they just decided to drop their nets. The other Gospels, when you take the rest in consideration, they had already had contact encounters with Jesus before, but this is the moment of decision. They're going to leave their livelihoods, they're going to leave their families, and they're going to come and they're going to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to make you better fishers. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they, will, they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So you have two sets of brothers. You have Peter and Andrew. You have James and John. And except for Andrew, really, Peter, James, and John are going to form the inner circle for Jesus. Jesus was surrounded by 12, but among the 12, he had three. And it can be argued, some would say, even among the three, he had one even more favorite, and that might be John. But, uh, but be that as it may, these three, at least, Peter, James, and John, will form his inner circle, and uh, they will be the ones that will uh, be with him at different uh, times through the Gospels uh, more than the others. And they leave everything, and they follow Jesus. You know, what does it really cost us today to follow Jesus? I mean, did you have to leave your livelihood? Did you have to leave your family? Did you have to leave anything, really? I mean, we have it so easy when you think about just the ability to follow Jesus by faith. But shouldn't we be living out our lives in such a way that, man, when we think about counting the cost, there's very little involved these days. So may we live for his glory and for his honor because it's, it's really, relatively speaking, considering other places around the world, it's so easy to follow Jesus. What excuse do we have? It's so easy to follow him. Nobody's going to die here, not yet. Nobody's going to be persecuted. Nobody's going to have to suffer like they do around the world. We have it very easy and very comfortable in America, don't we, folks? May we be wholehearted followers of Jesus. If we can't do it here, where else could we do it? Well, closing out chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing Every disease and sickness among the people, teaching, preaching, and healing. That was his ministry, and then it was bathed in prayer constantly. In verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis were ten cities around the region of the Galilee. Therefore, Deca, ten polis cities. Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, when you look at these different towns and provinces that Matthew names here, Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, said that there were 200 cities in this vicinity that we're reading about here, between Syria, Jerusalem, Judea, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Galilee, 200 cities. Now note this, Josephus said, and and each of the cities numbered approximately 10,000 people. That would have made about 2 million people in this vicinity where Jesus is ministering. And it is believed that about 20,000 people would regularly follow him from place to place. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. 
If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know